Well, hey there, and welcome to the Backstory Podcast, where we take a deeper dive into the stories that are behind the testimonies that we hear from God's people. And so today's episode is going to look just a little bit different. Over the years, the Wilmington Church of Christ has been so blessed through the generosity of this congregation to be able to support ministries that are both across the street and around the world. And so today we are going to focus on a local ministry that is making a profound impact right here in Clinton County, Ohio. So join us today as Dale interviews Lee Sandlin from Sugar Tree Ministries. My name is Dale McCamish, pastor at Wilmington Church Christ, and I am here with the director of Sugar Tree Ministries. Is that your title? Yes. Lee Sandlin. Lee, um, I, I love starting off any interview I do, um, if I can, with uh, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. How did you meet Jesus? When did you fall in love with Jesus? And what what is your relationship with Jesus like right now? Yeah, I, I tell this story all the time, and uh, it's a humorous one. I always tell the story that um, whenever people ask you who your family is, and then most people say, like, I got this is my brother, this is my sister, my father, mother. But when you grew up kind of a uh, hillbilly and kind of in poverty, uh, you have to tell a story. <laughs> okay. They, so we always tell a story about how, you know, my parents got divorced when I was young and I grew up on a farm and, uh, you know, grew up and, you know, my mom did a great job raising us, but the idea of single mother. And, uh, but the reality is, is that, that I grew up isolated on a farm. And so, so I tell the story all the time that, you know, we didn't know we were poor because you grew up on a farm. You don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Uh, and I got older. When I got older, I started playing sports. Sports, you know, God was in this the whole time. I started watching the power team when I was a kid. You know, I wouldn't watch TBN ever, but I started watching the power team and it got me involved. And so God was planting seeds. And, and I also said, I, I've been a big fan of Superman my whole life. I got Superman license plates and all that. But come to find out, Siegel and Schuster, who created Superman, were Jewish men who were showing the uh, the model, the archetype of the Savior that they thought they were going to be. And so watching Superman, I was learning all about the qualities of Jesus. You know, So God was planting these seeds all the time, even though they were secular, but God was planting these seeds. And so I grew up on a farm, loved Superman, just like you grew up on a farm and that. But these seeds were being planted. And when I got older, I started playing sports. And I started being around friends all the time that that had money and they had things and they'd invite me over to their house. And um, I would see what life looked like other than being on the farm. And it made me think about a lot of things. And then uh, I, I would always, I had a lot of friends growing up and I did really well in sports and uh, I was really happy with that. But I used to run to the end of my driveway uh, when I was, we had a quarter mile driveway. And I remember I'd spend so much time laying under the stars and, and then I felt so all alone. I felt like empty and like the void of space, like, you know, what does this all mean? What does it matter? And I was always an introspective kid, always had a lot of internal, you know, dialogue. And, uh, and, and I just always thought about that. And then somebody invited me to church and it was a girl. And I know you're not supposed to do mission dating with girls, (laughs) you know, the ideas, but, but I I started coming to church because of her. I think a lot of people have that story. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. 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 Anyways. And so I had, uh, had all these questions and, uh, I started getting involved in youth group. I, I was around, you know, as a teenager, got involved in a youth group, and I really liked youth group, but I, I had no relationship with Jesus. And uh, the girl ultimately broke up with me, which you know normally happens. And then uh, I still found myself wanting to go to church. And there were people in that church that genuinely cared for me because I didn't show up for Sunday for like a couple of year, weeks in a row. And a couple of the elders reached out and called me. And I mean, if had they not called me at this story, you and I might not be sitting here. Had, had one of them not called me, you know, they called me and I came back and, and all of a sudden— I realized that, that that void I had in my life, that emptiness, that question, I was was like disappearing. And I went to the altar, gave my life to Jesus, and, and, and all the anger, the rage, the bitterness, the questions. The first miracle he did in my life was he took 
all of that away. Prior to that, I have scars all over where I punch people. I was, I was a violent kid because I had all this rage and anger. And since then, he, he just took it all away. And God healed me. I mean, literally, instantaneously of all the rage and angers with that. And so that was my encounter with Jesus was the idea was that I had all these questions. I felt alone. I could be in a room full of 50 people. And I felt like I was all alone. Right. Felt like nobody knew what I was talking about. And so th this reality was when I, when I figured that out, um, when, I, when I came to Jesus, all of a sudden that loneliness, was, it just ended. I haven't felt alone in, I've been a Christian since, uh, since I was 18. You know, you know, I'm 46 now. I mean, so for, you know, 30, you know, like, the idea is I haven't felt that ever again. And so that was the first miracle in my life. And so I knew that I had to give back because I, I, I so I started doing missions work. I immediately just jumped in. I, I, I kind of, my family now, I, I, I got adopted by a Christian family that it's, it's, I call it a Jesus adoption. It wasn't, you know, not formal, but they, they kind of took me under their wing and I, I'm still, they're still like my family still do holidays with them and so that and still do Christmas and dinners weekly. And, uh, but they were servers. I mean, they. They served, you know what I'm saying? They loved people and they served. They did mission trips and they were always the ones helping at church. And so they were the ones that kind of brought me up in the church. And so I immediately, you know, grew up. But I went to mission trips, though. The people, the places I went to reminded me of home, not of America. You know, like of my house. You know what I'm saying? Like I could go to these third world countries. You know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden I see it. I'm like, I'm like, I know what poverty looks like. I get these people. You know what I'm saying? And so the idea was is that I started going to missions where I started doing youth ministry. I, I hate to say this, this is probably not God, God forgive me, but I, I definitely preached my first sermon in youth group without being saved. You know what I'm saying? Like, right, you, know, right. you know, I got involved, but God, I mean, God knew what he was doing. And so I was immediately involved in youth group as an associate, you know, assistant youth pastor. And then I became a head youth pastor and I served and I did mission work. So uh, the rest is history. I've always done mission work. I've worked for, you know, a Hope House in Middletown. Uh, we had a campus in Middletown in my home church, Fellowship of Praise, which I love. Um, you know, so the idea is I've always just jumped in head first and, you know, feet first into missions. So since I was 18 years old, youth ministry, missions, outreach, I started working at Sugar Tree. This is my 20th year of volunteering on top of five years of working. We've only been open 25 years. So I volunteered forever and then took over. So, yeah. Uh, we are planning to talk about Sugar Tree and the ministry that it does. But mm -hmm. you said something just then. It reminded me. You said, hey, I've, I felt alone. I had a void. I had rage. Jesus healed me of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't think you'd be um, against talking about this or you're a pretty open book. But you mentioned at a minister's meeting we had recently that you were battling depression oh, a year ago oof, pretty bad, oof. and then God has brought you through to the other side of that. Amen. What was the difference um, between the loneliness you felt when you were a teenager and then you came to Christ and the depression you battled uh, just recently? And, and how, did, how did Jesus bring you out of that? Yeah, yeah. It, it's a remarkable thing, and, 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 I, and I, I know that God doesn't cause that in our life, but just like, uh, just like Joseph said, what you know, man intended for evil, God made good. Right. And so, so whatever I went through, whether it was a sickness, illness, whatever that was, when I was lonely, it made me angry and made me want to fight, made me want to fight for my life. You know what I'm saying? That, that depression was like, like a heavy blanket. Mm. It was just like, it just laid on me and I could do things. I could think normally, but it just, but here's what I learned in it. Here's the beautiful thing about it. God delivered me through it because I remember this is, this is a crazy story. I, I think I've told only a couple people this. The only way I could sleep during that time was, was Jesus heal me. Jesus love me. Like I would lay there and repeat that over and over and Jesus be with me over and over. I'd listen to worship music. I, I got interviewed by K-Love recently. And I told him that story about, about that K-Love, all I listened to through that depression is the, is the worship of God. And it got me through. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, just the name of Jesus and the worship, it, it carried me through that whole thing. 
but I learned something about mental illness, which is amazing because God didn't call it, God is making good out of something he didn't do. But the reality was, is I understand now that mental illness, it is a sickness. It, mm. it is not something you choose because it came on me and I couldn't physically in my own flesh get rid of it. Right. I did all I could, went to the doctors, went everyone's with that, you know, but it just took time. Uh, and, and like I said, worshiping and praising and uh, calling out the name of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and, and it, it it gave me peace and comfort through the whole thing. Would so. you say that sustained you through sustained me, the absolutely. low part? Yep. How do, what do you remember about coming out? Like you were coming up out of the low part, being depressed, and you, mm-hmm. you started to get better. What were some of the things that you think God was using to help well, you do it, that? Most men listening to this aren't going to want to hear this. Uh, I had to become completely vulnerable. Mm. I told everybody. I told everybody, listen. Somebody called me on the phone and be like, hey, I'm, I'm struggling. Like, you know, it's not, that's not like me. I'm usually the toughest guy in the room. You know, like I'm usually, like usually hide everything. I usually don't act like I'm cold or afraid. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I've looked, I've looked people down square in the eyes that, that some of the people we serve that are, you know, that are some cold-blooded people and, I, and I'm used to not flinching. You know what I'm saying? And, and but that made me, it, I flinched. I, I, I just told everybody. What was, what was the darkness? What was like behind closed doors? I told them, hey, I don't, I'm not me. I had to cancel. I never cancel things. Never, ever cancel. If I, if I give you my word, I'm going, I had to cancel things. Mm. Yeah. I, was supposed, I was supposed to read for kids and stuff like that. And I never, and I had, I'm like, I, I can't do it. Mm. And that's, it's a weird thing, but I had to be honest. Sure. And I, and I learned something about, about, about healing is that, you know, when you go take your, your, your offering to the Lord, the altar, right? Lay it all down at his feet, you know, lay it down at the, the altar of God, lay it down at the cross, just get rid of it. Just let it go. And, and that really ultimately was what brought me healing was the fact that I, I finally got, you know, uh, uh, finally was able to just get all that out there. Now, it's also, uh, you know, Jesus accused the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees of the, you put burdens on men they cannot carry. I think what led to that depression and whatever that was, was I was trying to carry, you know, all the hate, all the polemics, all the vitriol, everything that's coming my way for Sugar Tree. I, I think I tried to carry all that instead of just letting it, letting it go. Or let Jesus carry you, it for you, right? Yeah, and I had to let. Yeah, I, I was trying to carry it, saying, "Don't, don't worry, Jesus, I got this." And the truth <laughs> is, it, 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 that'll never work. Right? Yeah, He can handle everything. I can't handle anything. What advice would you give to somebody who may be battling depression right now? Yeah, find somebody that cares about you and tell them what's going on. Okay, expose it. Get out there. Get a counselor. Don't be too tough. Uh, call for the name of Jesus. Let the word of God let the you know wash over you. Let 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 worship come into your life. You know what I'm saying? Twenty four seven. Just and and really, what's crazy is it and it's sad. It, I feel like David in the Psalms, even though he's so broken in a lot of those, that's the way we should live our lives. Mm. Everything's it's so sad. And the reality was, I was a better man of God during <laughs> my depression. You know, what I'm saying? Like, you know, like I was the man you were I seeking need- him. Yeah, I was the yeah. man I needed to be at that point. Okay. I became the man I needed. And, and when you get better, you tend to be like, oh, I'm not going to do that ever again. And all of a sudden you start doing these things. You start <laughs> watching. Things. You're like, why am I doing this? You know what I'm saying? Like the idea right. is that because when I needed Jesus, I, I was sold out. And and uh, I'm not afraid to admit my weaknesses anymore. But the reality is, is that there are things that I uh, – now, I, I haven't forgotten. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That that residue of God's healed me, but that residue of, of when I start to see things in people – or I start to feel things myself, I immediately. Um, and one thing I'll tell you that I thought was interesting, I think you'll find this fascinating. Um, my counselor asked me, I went to a Christian counselor, which by the way, I'm studying to be a Christian counselor. I'm, I'm working on getting my license, uh, which is so interesting to, to be in the chair when you're supposed to be the one. And uh, um, But she said, what do you do for yourself? And mm-hmm. I said, I said, work. Right. I mean, that's what I love. I'm, I'm a fighter. I mean, I love working. People, people, sometimes people like encounter problems. They're like, oh no, here we go. I'm like, 
oh, let's go. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I, I want to do this. And so, but she's like, what do you do for yourself? And she's like, that's not an answer. So I finally started to, and thank God, the Murphy Theater here in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's pub theology, which isn't, you know, uh, you know, it's just a meeting of people to talk about philosophy and theology and stuff like that, and it's great, and Jesus. And uh, the Murphy starts, I love classic movies. Mm-hmm. So, and then I set my office up. I used to just have a wooden chair and a table. I bought myself a, a reclining, uh, you know, office chair. I put candles out now, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I listen to music. I put an Echo, Amazon Echo. I started just doing things that, okay, you know, how do I feed my soul? How do I rest in the Lord? You know, what can I do? And so I started taking people to these, you know, these classic movies. And it's so funny because Steve and Jojo and Mandy and them, every movie they show, God's in it. Mm. And all of a sudden there's this redemptive theme. Mm. And so God was using these classic movies. I've always loved classic movies, but all of a sudden I started seeing these things. We watched A Christmas Carol right. on Friday. Complete theme of redemption. You know what I'm saying? You know, Ebenezer. And so so this idea that that whenever you go to these places, God's speaking. So I started doing things for myself, quote unquote, for myself. And I started sharing those things with other people. But uh, uh, yeah, I just had to start, I just start looking at how do I rest? What do I do? I got a, I got a smartwatch. So now I track my sleep and I, and I dropped a hundred pounds. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a the, on my, on my box at the gym, uh, we have OFP and it's old fat power lifter. And so we're joking about getting rid of the fat part. You know what I'm saying? Like the idea is I've always been a power lifter. I've always loved the gym. I've always worked in the gym, but you know, I lost hundred pounds, uh, you know, had to just start. What's the future? Mm-hmm. God, you know, like am I in this for the long haul? And so I started to change things and I started doing things for myself because you know, the old oxygen mask, you can't help somebody else if you're dying. So I had to, I had to really look at myself, which is something I never do. I always put others way other ahead of myself. I've always, I've always said, I always made the same. So I'm very poor with myself and rich with others. Mm. Yeah. So I had to change that. Yeah, I think I read Ian Bounds one time talking about prayer, and he said you need to pray for yourself first. And you know, we're growing up in the church or something. You're always supposed to think of others first. first yeah. But uh, if we're not being holy and if yep. we're not being healthy, then yep. uh, our ability uh, to put ourselves in a position for God to use us is going to be hurting as well. So well, it's it's funny you say yeah. that because because my prayer the whole time I was depressed and had anxiety. Uh, God, just give me the ability to fight. Give me that ability, because right now I can't fight, mm. and I just want to be able to fight again. You know, fight the good fight, not not fight people. But, but just, I, I just give me the give me the power to fight. And, and that's uh, and that's when you learned when I'm weak, I'm strong. Strong, because yeah. Jesus was strong in your. I place had to let go right of everything now. before he he lifted me back up. Yeah, I had to humble myself, and he he was he was gonna lift me back up. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, hard, impossible. Yeah. But he but through him it's possible. Yeah, I'm glad you're on the other side of that. Yes, so, praise God. So here's the reason why we were doing this interview is mm-hmm. um, tell us. Uh, what is the purpose of Sugar Tree Ministries? Mm-hmm. Uh, what? How many people are you impacting mm-hmm. uh, just on a weekly basis? Sure. Um, and what is your like your main uh, way of influencing uh, our community yep. through Sugar Tree? Yeah, I, I wish that I could. Uh, I wish I could. You know, I wish I could remember the person's name because it was. I talked to Denise about it before, but but the homeless shelter. I used to have this. Um, box like when I was a young man I, I kept this box on my as a metal container really nice metal container and I, I called it my two mite box and I would throw change in there and then I would always find somewhere to like give that money to and uh, and so this goes to the mission of Sugar Tree I, I took it to the homeless shelter here in Clinton County never been to Clinton County didn't really spend any time here I mean I had been to the auction a few times you know but uh, I grew up on a farm and uh, but I came to the homeless shelter I was like you know hey there's a homeless shelter here you know um, went there and I said I said here's here's money you know, what do you need? And the lady said, if you need it, we need it. And it was something about that empathy, that that statement of saying that that ministry is all about reaching people where they are mm-hmm. 
and figuring out what they need. And so when I got to be around Sugar Tree Ministries, I, as a youth pastor, I took a group uh, of, of youth group to a concert. And I met Al, and uh, I saw what they did, and then I, I we immediately started volunteering. So every church I've been at, you know what I'm saying, uh, you know, I've always taken a group and, and you know, volunteered there. And I, and I used to joke with Al, I said, I said, Al, I was like, someday I'd like to, you know, work for you. It was a joke. It was always a joke. Always, you know, like, he ha ha, you know, like everything that. And one day he goes, he goes, you know, do you want to, do you want to work for me? And I said, I said, sure. I was like the oldest intern in the world. It was like five years ago. <laughs> and, um, but I loved that the ministry was a, we call it a street level Christ centered triage where people who are broken, hurting and needy can get their, their spiritual and physical needs met through the gospel of Christ Jesus, the good news. Now, when that, you say triage, what do you mean by triage? Triage is the idea is that that if if you go to a nurse, if you go to a, even a, like a band aid station, or you go to a uh, you go to a uh, ER, or you go to a um, uh, what are those cool new things called that people go like the, the like we have one here in town. But the idea is like the uh, the the in betweens. Those are like medical professionals. Those are people that you know, you got to go to them, which is great. They exist and that you know. But the idea is you go to the hospital, and that's what they do. That's what they're there for. Um, but back in the day during war, you know, triage, they just set up a, a tent and people that just got blown up on the battlefield could get immediate attention. But sometimes the people who worked in those were just soldiers or, you know, ladies for the Red Crosses. So, you know, the, the idea is that they were just volunteers or they were people that were trained a little bit, but, you know, they, they mostly exist on the battlefield. Not that there weren't medical staff there, but, but a lot of people was just triage. And so we are the first step of people that just got blown up in life, got beat up, you know, messed up and around that, that they can come in and get out of the storm, find the hope that exists in Jesus, and get their get food, water, air, shelter in Jesus. Our, our, our sign, we changed it uh, recently, and uh, we got help with uh, Dustin Pierce from uh, Real Change. Um, and so our sign now says, Surgery Ministries, it says, food, water, air, shelter, Jesus, the the essentials for life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that's what we do. That That is our main mission is saying, we don't believe that anyone gets better from addiction, mental health issues, um, trauma, you know, rape, but you know, all, all these things, all these things that people go through, molestation, so that they, they don't get better if they're homeless, if they don't find a safe place where people care about them and meet them where they are and give them, you know, meet those needs. So we're a triage because we're a ba- we're in the battlefield. We exist right downtown. You know, like we don't we don't exist on the fringes where you have to somehow have somebody you know, bring somebody to us and that. We exist right in the right in the battlefield. We you know we are willing to do whatever it takes to get people help. Um, you know, this last week alone, these are just examples. I'm not giving names or anything like that, but, uh, you know, we sent somebody to home back to Missouri. Uh, we sent somebody that, that was from here that, you know, that found a better spot. They found a, a, a family member that would take them in like Wyoming. Uh, last night at 10 o'clock at night, we were delivering somebody up to Dayton that needed to get to rehab like ASAP from Blanchester PD, you know, referred us and we took them up to, to Dayton. And so, you know, what we're a triage because we're willing to do whatever it takes to take somebody who's injured, you know, in the battlefield of life, spiritually and physically, and do whatever it takes to get them better because Jesus is the, we believe he's the only answer for broken world and broke people. So we not only fill their spiritual needs, I always tell people all the time that when you look at the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus had the words of life. He was the bread of life. He is the bread of life. He's the water which will never thirst again. But he knew that if they were physically hungry, tired, and broken, they weren't going to hear the message. Mm. So the, the two are are, are, are are cohesive because people that are physically better, they, they're fed, housed, clothed, and like that. They are willing to hear the gospel. But anybody that's drowning, you can look at them and say, like, hey, Jesus, Jesus loves you. 
but they're going to die soon. Mm. You know what I'm saying? You got to pull them out of the water, you know, get them warm. You know what I'm saying? You know, the idea is you, you got to get them fed and then say, okay, you know, here's the truth. Here's the good truth about Jesus. But the idea is that they're physically perishing. I don't think it matters. And Jesus knew that. So in the feeding of the 5,000, I was always inspired where Jesus looked at the disciples and he said, he said, you feed them. Mm. You know, that's our role. Uh, kind of answers James's call. Book of James, he says, you know, show me, I'll show you my faith by my actions. I, it's, it's better to, like, if you see somebody cold, you don't just say, God bless you. You give them a blanket and say, God bless you. Amen. I mean, if you see somebody hungry, you don't just say, well, I hope God feeds you. You feed them. And then, yep. and then you say, look at what God is doing to help you. And uh, Sugar Tree does that. So let me make sure I'm understanding. Um, food, water, and sometimes Sugar Tree provides shelter. Yes. But not all the time. But sometimes you'll work hard. Sugar Tree will work hard to help somebody find shelter. Yeah, so, so if Sugar Tree can't provide it, you all will help help them find it. And then uh, you also are a taxi service. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Un- unofficial taxi service to get yeah. people to rehab or to shelters medical, or yeah. or, or uh, some place they need medical help um, or maybe even get somebody to a home like a, you just mentioned. Somebody in their family is going to take them in if if they can get if they yes. can get there. And then uh, you also have provided clothing, but that's not your main deal. We do clothing. You, but yeah. you have clothing. Yep. Um, but, uh, but what I heard you say is that it's a first safe place that somebody can find where they can be loved on and have some physical needs met. And then uh, the prayer is that they are able to connect with Jesus yeah, we, sometime after We share after the gospel that. with them in, in some capacity. And, and, and the good news, we work with the Homeless Coalition. So the reality is I tell people all the time about shelter, the good news is that on my watch, no one has ever slept outside that, that didn't want – if they didn't want to sleep outside, they didn't have to sleep outside. So we have agencies in Dayton, Middletown, you know, uh, Cincinnati's with that. If somebody needs transported, never had that, and, and we can't handle them at the Clinton County Homeless Shelter or Hope House anywhere, I've driven people at night to St. Vincent, to Hope House in Middletown, to, to Salvation Army. We make sure that no one that does that, – anybody that wants to sleep inside at night, that wants a safe place to sleep, we've, we've, we run the men's shelter – no one sleeps outside if they if, unless they unless they just choose to sleep outside. And there are some that are choosing it to happens. sleep outside, yep, right? Yep. And I, I talked to somebody this morning. It's 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 amazing that the way God works is that I tell people all the time is that that we can preach, teach, inspire, love, mentor, help, serve all these things, but you can never make somebody do what they don't want to do. Right. So the reality is, I I will mentor, teach, preach, coach, challenge, inspire but only to the degree that somebody is willing to get help. Right. You're not going to spend all of your time investing in somebody who's actively rejecting you. Sure. Right. Yep. Um, so, but we will try to help them. Sure, sure. I, I've had people, like last night there was a gentleman that, that cussed my face and wanted me murdered. And at the end of it I said, if you want to go somewhere, if you want to sleep inside, if you want food, you know what I'm saying? You, you're more than welcome. And he, he, he walked away. But just, I was, uh, Caleb and I, my, my right hand man, talk about all the time. I said that, you know, the rich one ruler, he said, what, what must I do to enter eternal life? And Jesus said, you know, give all you have to the poor, you know, and, you know, leave their stuff and, you know, follow me. And it said the rich one ruler walked away, mm-hmm. you know, sad or whatever. Jesus didn't chase after him. Right. You know, Jesus gave him the answer. Or like the prodigal son and the father, the father was waiting. But he didn't, he didn't go pursue the son because the son had to come to himself. Mm-hmm. So the reality is I will offer people all the opportunities, but until they're ready to take it. It's not that we're not trying to help them. I'll help them anyway. That guy right now, that, last night, if he came to our door today, I would help him in any capacity. But when they walk away, they, they have to come to themselves. They have to humble themselves at that point. And so at some point we offer help, but not everybody's going to take it. Sure. And, and uh, just to answer a question that might be on some people's mind, if 
So you're willing to help anyone, but if someone's uh, breaking the law or you mm-hmm. see somebody actively breaking the law, doing something they're not supposed to, what what is Sugar Tree's response to that? Yeah, yeah. I, I have a I have a police officer on my board, and I also meet with the law enforcement regularly. Um, the reality is is that is that I think we we miss the boat on this a lot of times. Is that if somebody breaks the law, the Bible says you know they're subject to the law, right? But Jesus said I'd visit you in prison. He didn't say I'd keep you from going to prison. Right. Right. So the idea is that that if somebody breaks the law, we are more than happy to, you know, call law enforcement because a lot of times people get better if they're being, you know, out of the pocket and they're being lawless. Sometimes getting them in into into it. I, I don't believe incarceration is the ultimate answer, but sometimes when people are so broken and messed up, getting them inside mm-hmm. and getting them kind of sealed up for a minute is the way that they come to themselves. It's a way that like the prodigal son is the way they go, oh, wait a minute. They come, to their, come to their senses. senses. Yeah. So yeah. I, I tell people all the time, I don't believe in punitive justice. I believe in redemptive justice. So as long as all the individuals that I encounter, and Wilmington Law Enforcement is great, the Sheriff's Office, Police Station, you know, uh, Troopers, everybody I've met is fantastic. They 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 love these this community. Whenever I encounter them in the in the in, in the wild, and and we get called out to help somebody, they're very loving and compassionate. If they're willing to help somebody get better, but arresting them is that answer, mm-hmm. I'm all in. But the idea is, I want to make sure that they're getting redeemed, and you know, there's a redemptive side where they get healing programming, things like that. Not because I think putting somebody in a jail cell forever just doesn't doesn't solve anything. But the idea is we do have programming. We have the U-turn docket. I'm on the board of the U-turn docket with, with Judge Reddick. He does a great job. But the idea is in the uh, you know, star program. So this reality is, is that as long as we're arresting people and getting, which I believe we are, I believe that our, our local law enforcement is, are great folks, that we're helping them move forward. I'm all for justice. And so the idea is that we work with law enforcement because I believe that, that sometimes that's the part of the story where people go, that's where my life changes because I got arrested. Sure. I, so, yes. I just heard that story before. Somebody yes. said, hey, and they were running. Yep. And they, they their testimony was like, I, I was really going to die if I hadn't been arrested because yep. they were running, they were on drugs, they were addicted. Thousand and percent. They, they were just getting worse and worse, but they didn't realize at the time. Yep. Being that's arrested saved that, their life. And, and people get clean in jail. Yeah. Oftentimes, because they can't get drugs in there, they they get clean there. So, so once again, talking about coming to your senses, we love to take people in and, and feed them, close them, house them. But sometimes, if people are are so deep into that addiction, that spiritual bondage, you know, the idea is that sometimes just locking them up is the only way, you know, they get clean. Mm-hmm. So sometimes that is the part of people's story. So yes, I am hundred percent. We work with law enforcement. We call the police. Uh, we we've helped people. We've helped them find people mm-hmm. that are in trouble. People go like, hey, do you know this person? Like, yeah, he's right here. Call him, saying. You know, he's at the ministry, and like I said, if I know somebody has a warrant, I won't take them in. I'll call the police first. So, yeah, we, we work with law enforcement because I believe that it's it's a redemptive justice, and I believe the people in this community are all about redeeming people. Um, uh, I think you've explained what Sugar Tree does very well. Thank you for doing that. Uh, thank you for your explanation on you do call the police if somebody's breaking the law, and but you, you explain why you do that. Yep. It's not just to lock somebody up. Um, tell me before we close this interview— um, your one or two of your most recent success stories mm-hmm. through Sugar Tree, somebody that you watched change or grow or develop, or somebody who's come on the other side of addiction sure. because they started off there. So give me one or two stories. Yeah. So one one of the ones I always like to tell is one of the guys that works for me now. Uh, he helps run our house and we have that. You know, he was a heroin addict in the Wilmington area for thirty years, and he is now um, clean for years. Uh, he's part of the U-turn docket. He helps out there. He does some mentoring. Uh, he helps run our men's house. He's on our landscaping crew. Uh, I mean, you know, all of those things are just unbelievable, uh, in the way that he's come full circle where, where he, I think he was a, a bit of a detriment to the community. 
and now he's an asset to this community. And I think that's the going from whole broken to whole is the answer. And you're walking in Jesus is that, and I always say this to, I work with athletes. I always say this like, you know, Samuel Rodriguez says pastor, but you know, you're either dying, surviving or thriving. Mm. People in the street are dying. You know what I'm saying? They're not making it. But when you're thriving is when you're able to give back. You're able to, and, and right now he went from dying on the streets of Wilmington to thriving uh, here and, and, and doing that. Now he works for us and he works for, he works for the community. How long, how long a process was that for this particular person you were talking about? Well, it's, it's the reason we never give up on anybody. It's the reason we forgive 70 times seven. It's the reason we, we, we love each other because he was 30 years an addict. Mm. And this process of getting him back into the flow has been over five years to get him back into, the, back into life and giving back. So we should expect a long-term investment if we're trying to help somebody get off the street dying and yep. to thriving. Mm-hmm. And by long-term, I, I would say one to two to three to five years. Sure. Um, so people are going to experience a relapse, and we should expect that. And we should expect to, hey, we're going to take them back to rehab, and, we, and they're going to relapse, and we should expect that. And we should take... And we should expect, hey, during that relapse time, they're going to be lying to us again. And Absolutely. that's okay. As long as we expect it, we know on the other side there is true redemption, yep. true healing, true thriving yep. uh, in, in our community. Yeah, and, and I would tell people all the time that, that, that when people ask, like, you know, why serve everyone and something, because I tell people all the time is because I've seen people. I've seen that, you know, my son was dead and now is alive. I mean, we've seen that. My, my, my neighbor was dead mm. and is now alive. We've seen Jesus, you know, bring people back to life. But it's because people didn't give up on them. Mm. If anybody gave up on them, their story could have ended anytime. But God, but God keeps forgiving us. While we get sinners, Christ died for us. You know, the idea is that that we are to lay down our lives for others, and that's how we show love. So even when it's uncomfortable and certain, you know, loving people like Jesus is never convenient. Mm. If you ever think that loving people is easy or convenient, it, it's 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 bloody, it's messy, it's it's hard. But that's the type of love that and I always tell people biblically. Name any circumstance where suffering didn't precede joy. Hmm. You always go through the battle before you win the victory. Uh, Jesus suffered the cross for the joy that was to come. You know, the precedent is, is that that before any victory in Jesus, there's going to be suffering. So you're going to suffer with others. We're carrying each other's burdens. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're, we're laying down our lives. The idea is that for people to find real redemption in Jesus, we as Christ followers are going to suffer with them. When one suffers, we all suffer. One has joy. But it's suffering always precedes joy. You know, so I had a lady, a friend of mine who uh, uh, who lost her mother, and she she called me up the other day, and her, her mother her mother's in the hospital. And she, said, she said, "Give me some words," and I said, "I said your mom's suffering, but she follows Jesus. That her greatest joy is coming. Mm. So this suffering is hard to watch, but on the other side is joy. So when we get people that beat us up, you know, I got hit with a glass bottle last week. You know, the idea is, you know, the idea is, but but we know on the other side of that." Jesus is going to heal them, but it's going to take some suffering, some time. And, and you wanted one more story, and I, I love this one. The idea was is that uh, there was a family that had four kids uh, that ate with us for a long, long time, and uh, we were able to help them with the kids with school supplies. They ate with us. We were helping them get them clothes. We even gave them a computer for the kids and like that. And uh, all of a sudden, like everybody else, it's so funny. Everyone wants to blame you for the right now. They drive by our building like right now, but they don't see people that are our success stories aren't there anymore. Mm. So when you don't see people, they're not there anymore. Uh, this whole thing, one day they came in and uh, they were like, oh yeah, we're working. We got a house. You know, and they're a family again. They're mm-hmm. all together. And I you said, hadn't seen them in a while. I've not seen them. And I, and I saw one of the DMV and I was like, I was like, hey, how's it going? And they, the daughter was getting her driver's license. It had been years. Back together, whole family. 
They ate with us. They got groceries with us. But all of a sudden, then they disappeared. You were the safe spot they needed during that time. During that time, they were they were yeah. messed up, and you know, and God gave them that. And, and and it's God's house. It's a sanctuary, and so coming in, they should be safe with the righteous. Come in and they're safe. You know what I'm saying? You know, he's a shield, a fortress. And so we want to be that. We always, I always remind everybody that this is the house of God. When you walk in, you may not look like a church. This is the house of God. And when you're here, everybody should feel equal, loved, safe. You know what I'm saying? Like this is a place. This, and I yell when people get when people do things inside the building. I'm like, guys, this has to be the one place that everyone in the community can come in and feel like they have a chance, like they have hope. Sure. Don't bring that junk in here. We we have a sign outside of our door that says. Says all are welcome, but don't bring your don't bring your weapons, your drugs, your alcohol. Don't bring it, because this has to be the one place that's safe. It has to be the place where everybody can come in and be be welcomed. Sure, help help me help my heart and anybody else struggling with this get to that point where I want to love like Jesus, mm-hmm. like Sugar Tree does. And yep. I'll, I'll tell you my story. Yep. So um, you've said before, if anybody's in town asking for money for food or clothing, they're dr- really asking for drugs because food and clothing is available. Yes. Um, and so I've been approached by the same character downtown several mm-hmm. times. He needs money for food. Yep. And, um, of course, I know that he doesn't need food money, and I am assuming that he wants drug money, but it keeps happening over and over, and yet um, my heart begins to get hard toward him because mm-hmm. I'm starting to get mad that he's not going to see. He's not seeking help. Yep. He's not seeking aid, and yet he's still— Trying to and he and he does trick some people. Some sure, people, sure, yeah, and because there are a lot of good-hearted people in town, they just give money because they want to help. Yeah, want to help, and they don't know what else to do. Correct. And then my heart gets hard. I get angry. Yep. But you know, God has forgiven me, and I forget that God mm-hmm. has forgiven me as many sins as this guy. Yeah. Because yep. uh, I only know his one sin. I know all my laundry yeah, list. Of right. Sin. Right. So help me though, um, get my heart better toward him or people like him, and yep. if anybody else is struggling with that same kind of feeling that I'm feeling, help, what, what what do you recommend we do? What do you suggest we well, do? What, what I would tell anybody, and what I say all the time, is that where Ezekiel said, you know, take my heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. The reality is I tell people in, in outreach ministry and street ministry or evangelism in general, I think the negative side or the, the hurtful side of evangelism isn't hatred. It's bitterness. Mm. The idea is you become hard towards people. And I tell people a heart of stone might not be able to be crushed. But it can't feel anything either. You know what I'm saying? And so the idea is that we always have to recognize that that no matter how much somebody, and I tell people this all the time, your actions towards another are reflective of Christ's love in you. Mm. Their actions towards you are reflective of their life and their their, their reflection of their lifestyle. Don't let anyone, I think I think Martha King Jr. said, you know, no one, no man can make me hate. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And that is that that you love with your whole heart, you love as Jesus wants you to love. Don't let the actions of others determine the the love you give to people. Nice. You know what I'm saying? Don't don't allow that to make you bitter. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Keep that heart of flesh, but don't allow don't become bitter. You do what God's called you. If the Holy Spirit says, give, mm-hmm. you give freely. Give as God put in your heart to give. Don't let the actions of others or the failures of others dictate the love of Christ in you. But you're not recommending I give that guy money. <laughs> no, be wise. No, and, and be wise. And the other thing was, and that's what we say all the time. People say, like, well, you're enabling people. Enabling somebody looks like this, and I, you know, enabling means to give people the ability. Mm-hmm. Okay, so enabling can be negative or positive. I say we enable people to get better. Enabling sure, somebody sure. is is when you give a five year old a kitchen knife. Mm. That's enabling. You're enabling to. You're, he, he he couldn't hurt anybody really with by as, as himself. But you give him a, a knife, he can hurt somebody or himself or right? himself. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, him, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. We're, yeah we're, that's we're, a negative enabling. Yes, yeah. Okay. We, we we always say people all the time that you know that that when we draw a line in some capacity, we try to help people, but when they harm others or themselves, 
we're still going to help them, but we do have to change how we help them. You know, so we have to be smarter sure. about what we do. Sure. Some people can just give them a sandwich. Other people go sell that sandwich for drugs. You know what I'm saying? Like the idea is, you know, you have to be aware so people can hurt, harm themselves or others. So I tell people all the time is that, but enabling somebody in a, in a negative way is when you give them something they can harm themselves with or others. So when you give a drug addict money, mm. he can buy drugs. But when you give him a sandwich, odds are he's going to be able to eat that sandwich, you know? And so I, I give you this advice before anybody listening right now, my litmus test to anybody is gratefulness. Mm. So if I see somebody on the street, what I do on purpose, now I could have a million dollars in my pocket, you know, but the reality is like the hidden boss, you know, I could have all the resources in my pocket. What I do, I, when I go to somebody, I say, Hey, let me buy you a burger. And if they're grateful and they accept it, then I do more. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But if I offer somebody something small and they're grateful, they're not grateful for little, they won't be grateful for much. Mm. The idea is, and they reject it and they're only asking for money. I walk away. Sure. I'll tell them where we are. I'll sure. tell them, come to the ministry, but I won't actively, you know, help them any further because the idea is I know they're only looking for that thing. Sure. So for anybody, you know, when you're enabling them in a good way, point them to resources, give them the opportunity, give them to the professionals, people that do this for real, mm -hmm. uh, be able to tell them where they can go, give them, have a phone number ready. And the other thing is I tell people, if you really want to help people have a, they have a homeless bag, right? Put gloves, hats, socks, underwear, Keep a bag with you that has a sandwich, has a, has some dry, not a sandwich, but like dry goods, like peanut butters mm -hmm. with that. Give it to them and see how they respond. Package peanut butter crackers, yep. that kind of thing. Get, yeah. Come by, get, me a, get a sugar tree card, get one from the homeless shelter, put cards in there mm -hmm. for resources they can call. Uh, if they need to make a phone call, you can, you know, I, I never hand anybody my phone, mm -hmm. but I'll say 937-382-8359, hold the speaker up. Mm -hmm. I'll do all that. But if they're not grateful for a little, they won't be grateful much, but also if they won't accept that help, then they're really only looking for things. And that's when you enable people, when you give them something, even you, when you know they're going to hurt themselves or other people with it. I think that's enabling. That is good advice. Uh, yeah, we all need to take that um, knowledge of enabling can be negative, yes. but it can also be very positive. positive. Yes, yeah. yes. It yeah. sounds like that you all are trying to enable it in positive Plus ways, we, yeah. and which is what Jesus does for all of us. Yes, amen. Ali, yeah. I appreciate you giving this interview, filling us in, uh, letting us know a little bit more detail uh, about your life and about Sugar Tree. Yep. And uh, just if you would allow me to pray for Sugar Tree and you, and amen. then we'll close out our yep. interview. Lord, I just ask that you continue to put your favor on Lee and Sugar Tree Ministry. Uh, so that they can continue to enable people in a positive way uh, with the hope, Lord, of your own desire that all men would be saved. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for the interview. God bless you. Thank you. <laughs>